Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Hey, I want you to grab your Bibles. I want to jump straight in. I've got quite a bit to share with you this morning and quite a bit burning deep, deep within my soul. We're in week three of a series that we're called Unlikely Saints. Unlikely Saints. Last week, Pastor Chad looked out of Luke chapter 18 and 19 of Zacchaeus, and is that me in the mirror? The week one, we looked at Peter, who was the failure, Paul, the murderer. And I just want to say from the outset of how grateful I am that in the midst of a world that is swirling chaotically and a world that is literally running to and fro, I find my sanctuary in the midst of God's people, in the midst of God's house with God's presence. And I sense his peace this morning. Anybody else besides me? I thank God for his presence and... Uh, I believe that God really is going to speak to our hearts together this morning. If you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand right quick. And uh, up to there in the back would be glad and pleased to serve you. And uh, you can just keep your hand raised there just for a few moments. I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I have to admit, I, uh, a little, uh, I, I don't know, precarious, I uh, stirred, I guess I should say, I been here at Dwelling Place since we relaunched last August, and in that time frame, God has given me, even our leadership team and through individuals, certain confirmation, but last night was the first dream that I had, and uh, the dream took me past an hour and a half of when I was supposed to wake up. I normally wake up at five on Sundays, and it took me way beyond that, and uh, the dream was unbelievably stirring because I got a picture uh, for the first time uh, in my heart and kind of spirit of where God has taken us. I have no time frame of what that is, but... There was such, uh, such resilience and such faith and such freedom in the Holy Spirit as people were operating freely in their giftings, freely in the giftedness that Christ had given them. And uh, I want to share a little bit about that this morning as we jump in. 1 Samuel 17, this is an amazing, amazing text because there's two hills. Everybody say two hills. Two hills. There's one hill here on one side of the Valley of Elah. There's another hill on the opposite side. In the midst of these two hills lies this great valley. If you've been to Israel, you've probably seen the Valley of Elah before. It's the place of the incredible battle between David and Goliath. And in these two hills, one hill represented the people of God, what we call the church of God, those who were literally called out. We call the church in the New Testament the ecclesia, the called out of, kaleo called, ek out of, the called out of. These are God's people. And on the other hill is the enemy of God. And and uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to, to be here the first two weeks of this series, I just want to encourage you to listen to the podcast because these messages are going to build each and every week as we continue. But everybody in this room, you're either born again in the room. That is to say, you've trusted the cross of Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You've literally been transferred from a kingdom of darkness, put in the kingdom of his dear son, or the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, Colossians 1. Or you're in this room and you're an enemy of God. Now, here's what I've learned is most people say, no, I'm not an enemy of God. Well, if you're not a friend of God, that is a servant of Christ, you are an enemy. The Bible says in Romans that we are enemies in the minds of God, in our own hostility. Now, you say, Craig, are there multiple types of enemies? Of course, there's two types of enemies to God. There's indifferent enemies. That's most of the people we find that are unsaved. And then there are hostile enemies. But just because I'm indifferent doesn't still mean I'm not an enemy. So we're in the room today. We are children of God. We're on one heel or we're enemies of God. We find ourselves from the outside of this message that we are in one of two categories. Now, people become the children of God. They, they literally cross over from one place to another hill. They cross over, as I said, from light into darkness. That happened for me in February 10th of 2002. Some of you can point back to that moment where you became born again. You trusted the cross of Jesus Christ. But if we're honest, when people jump over the hill or people transfer citizenship, they still begin to struggle with the giant of their past. They continue to to struggle with the difficulties and they a lot of people just seem to can't get past it they can't get past their past 
But I just want to say to you that if you are in Christ, that is, those who've trusted Christ, you are completely forgiven. In Christ, I'm completely forgiven. I am chosen. In Christ, I am valuable. And in Christ, I am unconditionally loved. That's true of everyone in Christ. And those are the truths that we've hit so far in this first two weeks of Unlikely Saints. But there are people here this morning that, listen, you are legitimately saved. Legitimately born again. You belong to Jesus, and you know you belong to Jesus. But here is your most serious problem. Your problem is this. If I've given my life to Jesus Christ, let's just be honest. Where in the world is this abundant life that Jesus came to give me? Where in the world is this life more abundant? Where is the joy that the Scripture speaks of? Where is the victory in every area of my life? That scripture speaks of. Where is the abundant life? Because let's be honest. Let's just be honest, right? Because heaven forbid we be honest in church. Um, Most of us, when we wake up, we wake up on some mornings and we don't feel too saved. You maybe woke up this morning and you didn't feel the assurance of salvation. And let's just be honest again. Tomorrow's Monday, folks. And you're going to wake up on Monday and you may not go to work feeling saved. To be honest with you, you'll be mad. How many of y'all know there's always that one person? They're like, hey, how's everybody doing? How was your weekend? You know, it's like 6.30 and they're drinking like their fourth cup of coffee. Like, how's it going? Good weekend? You know, you've met those people on Monday mornings. And you're like, you know, no, no, you don't want to do that, right? But joy is not a word that you would use to describe your life right now. Yeah, born again, but joy, no. Victory, No. And you're saying, why am I not experiencing this amazing, abundant life that Jesus promised? Well, this morning we're going to talk about discovering something that you may have gone to church all your life and you never heard talked about. But I believe if you can grasp what we are going to teach this morning, it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. What is it that God has truly gifted you with? Let me pray. Father, in these moments, capture the hearts capture the minds of every person, including my own, God. I pray in Jesus' name, let this not be a mental exercise. Lord, we are not interested in gaining more information. We're interested in formation. We're interested in being formed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're interested in becoming all that you desire us to be for your kingdom in this hour and this day. I pray in Jesus' name, help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit. Anoint the one who teaches and those who hear ears and mouths, God, to respond to what you're speaking to us today. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, touch our DP kids today. Move in that room, God. Touch those young children, Lord Jesus. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we've known the the Scriptures from holy infancy, which are able to save our soul into salvation. Let the power of God rest upon those young ones, God, in our nursery. I pray as we just rock and change diapers, Lord, we understand we're changing diapers of champions for Jesus. That, God, the love of Christ would be shown for the preschoolers, even Marley's little age. I pray in Jesus' name, teach. Allow your word to come alive. And I pray you do what you only can do today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody sit. Now, the first year of a baby's life is incredibly frustrating as a parent. First year, probably year one, year two, and year three. Now, I'm getting ready to start all over again. Diapers are about to invade my place. We're getting close, down to 11 weeks, really, by the time this week. I mean, it's amazing how fast one, uh, number three goes. Number one, it's like eternity. Pregnancy for the wife has to feel like six years because the husband, it's about three years. And now, number two is a little faster. Three is a whole lot faster, but... Christmas and birthdays are incredibly frustrating if you're a parent. Now, if you're a parent, you know exactly where I'm going with this. You know where I'm going, all right? You probably already can figure out where I'm going. But for Knox's birthday, I'm the kind of dad that I... I don't want to be the dad. I want to always, yeah, Meredith does most of the shopping, but I, I always want to get at least one present for my kids, right? One for Knox, one for Marley. Like, I, I don't want to be the dad like my dad, just to be honest with you. And they're like, hey, what are you getting for, what are you getting, what'd you get me for Christmas? I don't know. Just open it and find out. Oh, yeah, I got you that, you know? And mom did all the shopping. Dad has no idea what's underneath the tree. I didn't want to be that dad. So I've always wanted to say, you know what? Let me get one or two presents. And and so, Meredith, I'll get Knox when I think he'll like. I remember when he's one years old. And we got to that first Christmas. And how many of you know the first Christmas is about us as parents, not them? Because they don't remember another thing. All we're interested in doing is Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook. And, and we're just trying to put out the world what they do with the presents, right? That's all we're interested in. We wake up early. We got the, the camcorders. I used to have the big VHS. You put the VHS in it. My dad would walk around the house, you know. Looks like a boombox on his shoulder. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. We're just all about wanting to see what our kids think. And you spend all this money. Not only the money, you spend all the effort in a gift. And on Christmas morning... 
Christmas morning comes, what do they play with? The box and the paper, right? You get all the cousins around, they play with the box, they play with the paper. Do you ever feel like looking at your son, your daughter, and saying, for the love, kid, I spent all this money, I spent all of this energy and resource on getting you something. And so I just told Mayor after that first Christmas, I said, Mayor, just... Forget this. You better quit this. Next year, we're going to Publix when the truck comes in. And when the truck comes in and releases all of the stuff, I'm going to get all the boxes and wrap every single one of them. And I'm going to save all the money, and I'm going to go on a hunting trip. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to go somewhere. You and I will go on vacation together. Because I just personally, I'm talking about myself, I can't stand putting money and energy into something that someone won't open. Oh, you about know where I'm about to go with this message. I can't stand putting energy, my life, my resource, my creativity into something to give to somebody that all they do is then just play with the paper. Now, I want you to remember, what are we talking about this month? In Christ, I am completely forgiven. In Christ, I am completely chosen. In Christ, I am valuable. I am unconditionally loved. But here is a reality that every person also has. You ready? In Christ, you are gifted. That wasn't too hardy. In Christ, you are gifted. Ephesians 4 and 7, notice what the Bible says, that according, the Bible says to each one of us, that's each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. I want you to look at your neighbor real quick and say, neighbor, you're gifted. Come on, let's say somebody else. Say, neighbor, you're gifted. It's not in the looks department, but you're gifted, all right? Or for some of you, maybe that was an opportunity. Maybe it is in the good looks department. I don't know. I don't know if you know this or not, but. So, when I get a present, folks, whether it's birthday or Christmas, I'm not too bashful. You ever heard of, seen a bashful present opener? You have a grandpa that ever, like, got his knife out nicely undone the scotch tape and wants to keep the paper for next Christmas? Anybody ever grew up around people like that? So, I'm not that person, okay? I'm not that person. And my wife, her family, God bless her family, you know, um, they're just like, let's just open presents one at a time. And everybody get in the middle, and we'll just hand them one. I'm like, I don't care about your curling iron. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about your hair product. I could give a flip whether or not you got jewelry or not. You know, when I get a present, you don't want to play Chinese Christmas with me. When I get a present, you ain't going to get a chance because when I get it, I just immediately, you know what I'm saying? Somebody says, save the bow. I say, you want to save the bow? You better, you should have never put a bow on this present. Because I mean, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? I'm just ripping it off. I'm just getting as quick as I can. I get on the front side, find the bow, and then I don't even bother. I just bust into the present, you know, and I'm opening the baby up. Up. That's how I that's how I open presents. That's the only way to open presents. Only way. I'm a violent present opener. Somebody says, don't play that game with him. He'll kill somebody. Listen to me. The reason most Christians never step into what God has for their lives is they spend 50, 60, 70 years of their life playing with the paper in the box and never look inside the gift. This is what we do. We play with the paper. It's okay when you're one, but it ain't okay when you're 10. You see a 10-year-old just playing with the paper? Something wrong socially, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, something wrong there. I don't have to be pretty about it. I just bust into the present. Most of us, we never step into what God has for our lives because we're playing with the paper and the box and we haven't even discovered the gift that God has already given you in Jesus Christ to change the world that you and I live in. I want to say it again. You are gifted. So here's my challenge. My challenge for this morning is for you to set down the paper, to get rid of the paper and step away from the box and embrace the gift that God has given you. I want to give you two questions. That's how I'm preaching the message this morning. I just got two simple questions for you to ask yourself. Number one, do I fully understand that God wants to do more in and through my life than I ever imagined? I'm going to say it again. Do I fully understand that God wants to do more in and through my life than I ever Ever imagine. Now listen, folks, I'm not saying do you know that. I'm saying do you fully understand? Because if you fully grasp that, it changes everything in your life. Nothing in your life will be the same. If you fully understand that God wants to do more in and through your life than you could ever imagine. 
I'm going to give some homework for you. Say, Craig, where is that found? Ephesians 3.20. I want you to go home this afternoon. Write this on a sheet of paper. Put it on your window. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your, your, your mirror. Put it somewhere where you can memorize this verse. Ephesians 3.20. This is what the Bible says. It's a powerful, powerful verse. Most of you know it. The scripture says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work, in us, among us, and within us. Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine because his power is at work within us. This is not just true about me. This is true about you. God wants to do more in and through your life than you could ever imagine. And people here this morning, you don't believe me. You believe it about me. You believe it about preachers. You believe it about Pastor Chad. You believe it about other people. You look at others and say, yeah, God wants to do more in and through their life. than they can. But you don't believe it about yourself. You look at another pastor and you say, yeah, God wants to do more in and through your life than you can ever imagine. But listen, he would have never gifted you if he didn't want you to use that gift to do incredible things in your life for his glory. He would have never given you the gift. He would have never knit you together in your mother's womb already Already display, already placing and, and cramming into you the gift of God. Some of them even latent abilities, sleeping abilities up to this point in your life. He entrusted those to you from your mother's womb. You are gifted by God. You're gifted by God. First Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read about David. The title of this message is David, the unlikely gifted one. And boy, was he unlikely. First Samuel chapter 16, there's a king in Israel at this time. We just talked about 1 Kings 17 with the valley of Elah and David and Goliath. But 1 Samuel 16, there's a king in Israel at this time. He's the first king. He's named Saul. I call him Psycho Saul because he lost his mind. He lost his mind. And uh, God told Samuel, Samuel was the prophet. He said, I want you to go down to Jesse's house and, uh, and I want you to stop weeping over Saul because his heart, I've already rejected him. This is what God says. I don't have time to read it. We'd read a lot of text this morning, all right? First Samuel chapter 16, he said, listen, I, I, want you, I want you to get over that and realize that I've anointed a new king. Now, it's not the appointed time of that new king, but I want you to go anoint them previous to the appointment. So I want you, Samuel, I want you to go down to Jesse's house, and I'm going to ask you to anoint one of his sons as king. Can I just have an honest confession to you right now? I'm going to lose about maybe 60% of the room. That's okay. If I read 1 Samuel 16, and I read go to Jesse's house, does anybody else in here think of Dukes of Hazard besides me? I mean, anybody else? Y'all know what I'm talking about? The Dukes of I mean, Je Uncle Jesse, you know what I'm saying? Every time I read this, I mean, I think of Uncle Jesse. Anyone else? Uncle Jesse, you think of I mean, I lost half of it. CMT weeknights, 9 to 10 o'clock, right? Bo and Luke Duke. My first crush when I was in kindergarten was Daisy Duke. I had no idea how really short her shorts were. But that was my, that was my first crush. My mom bought a Z34 red car. First time she got it, I took a lollipop and stuck it up on the ceiling, right? But she used to roll down the windows, and I wanted to run out my house and jump in the windows like Bo and Luke Duke. I mean, I was obsessed with the Dukes of Hazard when I was younger. But, but I just, this is an honest confession. So, so Samuel got there. He goes to Jesse, Uncle Jesse's house. We'll say it that way. He goes to Uncle Jesse's house, and Jesse is there. And uh, he told Jesse, I'm supposed to anoint one of your sons as king. So don't you get all the sons together. So Jesse gets all the sons together. There's Eliab, the older brother, and all the others. And Samuel goes through every single one of them. He Okay, God, Holy Spirit, is that the one? Nope, nope, is that the one? Nope, nope, is that the one? Nope. And he goes through every son. He gets to the end. He's like, God, did you give me the wrong address? Holy Spirit, why'd you give me the wrong GPS? It's the wrong house. There's no one to anoint here. But he has enough faith to ask Jesse. He said, uh, is this all the sons you got? He said, well, no, but we got another one out there in the field. He's a run of the bunch, and... He's got sheep doo-doo and dung all over his feet. And if he comes in here, he's going to get it all over the carpet. So let's just leave him out there. He's just totally insignificant. Not really even important enough to be invited to the party. Just, just leave him out there because, nah, man, there's no way God would anoint him to be king. And he says, uh, he's out there with the sheep. No, I, I got one other one. Okay, bring him in. Listen, David, my friends, was not even invited to the anointing 
party. David was completely forgotten. He was considered so insignificant, not by outer people, by his own daddy. This message will preach right here. He was so insignificant to his own family, to his own brothers, that literally he didn't even have the opportunity to come before the prophet. But isn't it funny that God took the forgotten boy. God took the boy on the backside of a desert. God took the boy that was doing faithfully what God had called him to do. And he called him to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest kings of all of Israel. He's an unlikely candidate. He's an unlikely saint. And God said, I'm going to put my hand on him. Why is that important to me? Because there's people here this morning, don't just put up your pious idea and ideology. You really feel forgotten by God. Or you feel if you're not forgotten by God, that somebody else has got God's plan on their life, but you don't. It's been too late. You've, 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 you've gone too long without seeing the prophetic word come off your lips. You've gone too long without laying hands on people and seeing them recover. You've gone too long without walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. You're out in the sheep pen. You're insignificant. Let me tell you, God specializes in taking people like you and using you to literally change the world, to change your situation, to change your context. This is hope for you and me. But I'll never know until I open the gift. Open your gift. Oh, yeah, the world hasn't invited you to the party, but God will invite you to the party. <laughs> St. Agonatius in the third century said, if you want to be known by God, do everything you can be, do to remain hidden to men. I love that. There's such beauty and hiddenness in there. Woo, we don't like this message in 21st century, big popular culture. But what about hiddenness and obscurity in God's purpose? What about the place where you're hiding with God, faithful with what God has called you to do. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. Notice, let's read the text together. This is what the Bible says. So he went and sent for him and had him brought in. This is David. He was glowing with health and he had a fine appearance like Pastor Chad and handsome features. That wasn't in there. That wasn't in there. But he has to have fine appearance. It's not, that's my version. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. I like that the Bible makes it clear that he anointed him in the presence of the people who didn't think he was important enough to get inside the house. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Anytime you see the horn of oil in the Old Testament, think of Holy Spirit, New Testament. Direct correlation. Horn of oil, Old Testament. Holy Spirit, New Testament. Without a doubt. So what's happening? Notice the Bible says, so Samuel took the horn of oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on. You better underline that in your Bible. From that day on. Not, not, not in the future, not three years from now, not ten years from now when he becomes king, but from that day on. There is no graduated moving into anointing with God's Holy Spirit. From that day on, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Notice that. He doesn't have to wait to another time, another gathering, another Sunday, another church service. He said, at this one time, the Spirit came upon him, and David, yes, he was appointed. Yes, David was anointed. Yes, David was called. Yes, David was equipped. Yes, David was empowered of God. He was also gifted of God. And the same is true of you. You're not only anointed. You're not only called. You're not only equipped. You're not only empowered. But the strength of God then gives you the gift of God so that you're able to do something amazing for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, I know there's so much confusion around the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand the Holy Spirit lives in you the moment you're born again. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in. He doesn't come in to make you lose your mind like Saul does. That's not what he comes in. He doesn't come in to make you crazy. He comes in to equip you to change the world. When you are born again, notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit comes upon people to do supernatural things. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him, that's Christ, with a seal. What's the seal? The promised, the promised, because Jesus did promise it. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Everybody say deposit. 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That word deposit in the New Testament, the Greek koine Greek, is the word engagement ring. You know what an engagement ring signifies? In September of 2006 when I got my wife on a plane and flew her to New York City and I got down on one knee that afternoon and I said, babe, will you marry me? When I did, she said yes, much to my surprise, and I took a ring out of my backpack and I put it on that left ring finger. You know what that meant? That meant two things. Number one, it meant that we had a great special relationship. But that also meant that this was only a sign, only a landmark of something that is more substantial coming in the future. And boy, oh boy, was it more substantial. Because how many of you know we got through those dating days and engagement days and marriage was altogether different, right? I mean, this is, yes, there's a special relationship between me and that woman, but it's also signifying that there is a consummation coming in the future. And the Bible says the moment you were born again, God put you in Christ, and then he gave the Holy Spirit as a deposit saying, you are my own. You and I are engaged to one another, but we're about to be married. There's coming a day in the future where our relationship together will be consummated. You will become like me because you'll see me for who I am. Notice that. You were given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He comes upon us. He lives within us. Why? To empower us to do supernatural things. It is true that God raises up world changers through the Holy Spirit. He raises up people who change the world. You need to understand you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead lives in you. He abides in you. He dwells in you. He lives in you. And the problem of the Corinthian church is the problem of the dwelling place church. It's not that we don't have the Holy Spirit in us. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's always about reminding people of what's already theirs. Already theirs. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And God did not do this for you to show up to church every two weeks and sit. He called you to change the world. So what's my gift? Craig, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Some of you have taken 22 spiritual gift tests in the last 15 years, right? I got this gift. I got that gift. Listen, if you have, by the way, let me just say this. If you have to tell me what your gift is, it's not your gift, right? If you have to share with people what your gift is, it ain't your gift. Like, I've said this before, but does LeBron James have to tell you he's gifted at basketball? Hey, guys, hey, I'm really gifted at basketball. One of the best players in the NBA. No, he never does that. How do you know? You watch him play the game, and you're like, dude, that dude's gifted. That dude can play the basketball game, right? I mean, he, he, can, he can literally dunk the rock. I mean, like, does Justin Bieber have to tell you he's a gifted musician? I know some of you don't like Justin Bieber, but, but no, you need to, he, he didn't come out and say, you need to come to my concerts because. I'm just so gifted. No, that fool can sing. And he's a little bit sissy, to be honest with you, but he can still sing. I mean, he can, I'm a middle-aged man, pay $100, take off my shirt, and scream for three hours at a concert, right? I mean, this dude is, this dude is gifted. He's an entertainer. Michael Jackson was gifted. He just got on the stage, and he entertained. And that's not even talking about the girls that go to the concert, right? You just operate in your gifting, and everybody sees that you're gifted. Makes room for you. In fact, that's what the proverb says. Look what the proverb says. That a man's gift makes room for him. It opens the way and ushers him. Notice this. The giver into the presence of the great. That your gift makes room for you to minister in any context. All of your influence in Christ flows from your gifting. All of your influence in Christ flows from your giftedness. It makes me nervous when people come up to me and say, I have the gift of teaching. I'm like, why ain't you teaching anybody? Why ain't you teaching? I mean, you ain't even teaching your dog. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you ain't teaching nobody. You operate in your gifting. Let me tell you something. God wants you to know what's in the box more than you want to know what's in the box. He wants you. He's not up in heaven. You know, when my mom wraps a present, how many of y'all got those moms that wraps a present? They really wrap it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like takes a... PhD in present unwrapping to open the thing, right? I mean, super glue and tape. I mean, and sometimes that's what I feel like Christians think about God, that he's just got this gift so tightly wrapped. No! He wants you to get away from the paper and open the box. He's gifted you in Jesus. To each one, grace was given according to the manifestation of Christ's giftedness. So I'm going to give you three things that help you lead you to your gifting right here this morning. Number one, 
Here's the first question you gotta ask yourself. What are my opportunities? My opportunities. My opportunities. My opportunities. What are your opportunities? What are your opportunities? We must learn to make the most of every opportunity. When I was in middle school and I was poor and spent all my time at the mall and hung out there with my beeper on my side until my mom buzzed me to go over to the movies and I walked to the movies and then hung out with my friends again. Y'all, know, y'all don't know what beepers were, right? And you, asked, you put 35 cents in the thing and you had to call them, right? Long before cell phones. And I was in the mall. Chick-fil-A used to do something in the mall. They never did it at their own store, you know, but they had this guy stand out front and he had a tray full of samples. You know what I'm saying? It's like half nuggets. Half nuggets, you know, it was like an appetizer try to get you to eat it and then you'd come up and buy, you know, six, six pack or something like that. And uh, they would give away all these free samples. And they were free samples to most people, but I didn't see them as samples. I saw them as an opportunity for a free meal. So what I did is I walked back and forth about 35 times, and I got like a 12-piece nugget. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got toothpicks hanging off my side. Did you get one before? No, I used toothpicks down in my pocket. Toothpick, you know, I got two. I just saw it. as Why? Because I'm poor, right? I mean, I got no money as a middle school student, so I got to seize my opportunities, capitalize on the opportunities. Don't miss it. David was anointed as king. He knew what God wanted him to do. He would one day rule the nation. Notice this. He would rule the nation, but even in the midst of that. Notice what the Bible says after he gets anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 17. What does David do now that he's been anointed? Now that he's got oil on his forehead. Does he go down to Kinko's and and print up some cards that says, hey, this is David, the future king. You can email me at David at, hey, I'm the future king of Israel.com. How do you like me now? You didn't think I was important enough to bring in the house.com? You know, did he go out and just say, hey, look, I'm the I'm the future king. I, I'm not able to do anything that, that is insignificant anymore. No, the Bible says that David, 1 Samuel chapter 17, notice what the Bible says. We start in verse 17. The Bible, or, or verse 12, now David was the son of Ephathrite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. They're in the valley of Elah. The firstborn was Eliab, second Abinadab, third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I don't know about you, but there's probably people in this room who say that I'm in a place in my relationship with God where I'm just going back and forth. I'm just back and forth. I'm back and forth. I'm in the spiritual remedial class. Everybody else is running 90 down the spiritual highway, but I'm going back and forth. I'm just going back and forth. And this is all David's doing. He's going back and forth, the Bible says, from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. But verse 16, for 40 days, the the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. He defied God, the God of the living army, this living God. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers who didn't think you were important enough to even bring you in, I want you to take cheese pizza, Domino's, Little Caesars, Papa John's. I want you to take some cheese pizza down to your brothers who are on the front line because they're hungry and they need some assurance that God is with them. They are, verse 19, with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Notice that. Notice this is his opportunity. He didn't say, you know what? God's anointing me. Don't you look, Dad? I'm more important than what you think. I still got the oil. I hadn't even taken a bath since Samuel came to the house a few years ago. Look at the oil. No, he didn't say that. You know what? David, in the midst of even being anointed to be future king, did not go and do things that were not currently in his context. In other words, the, uh, the, he had to go back and not, not, not get rid of the, the shovel and not forsake the sheep. No, he receives the anointing of God for being future king and he goes right back to the shovel. He goes right back to the sheep and he begins to serve faithfully, humbly placing himself under the leadership of people who didn't think he was important enough to even be anointed. What are you saying, Craig? I'm saying that most of the times in life when God anoints you, you've got to give some years before the appointing catches up with the anointing. In other words, if you want God's appointment to come on the anointing he's given you, you've got to be faithful to stay faithful in the service of context that you are currently in. And with God, his appointing always has to catch up with his anointing. Always. And the Bible says he literally obeys his father. What if David had started talking to his father about gifting? I want you to take cheese pizza the bible says to the house of israel that's the phrase i need you to take cheese and bread to the house of israel no dad i don't do bread and cheese i'm the king dad you don't understand i'm the king you don't understand how important i am 
If you did, you never asked me to take cheese and bread to my brothers, because guess what? I'm their king too. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Folks, a lot of people talk about the miracles of God, miracles of Jesus Christ. I think verse 20 is one of the greatest miracles in all the Bible because I've never seen a teenager get up early in the morning and do anything. That's a major miracle, verse 20. Early in the morning, a teenager named David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper's supplies, ran. Everybody say, run. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, as he was talking with them, as he was doing what his dad, my God, you got to catch this, as he was doing what his dad asked him to do, as he was doing in obedience what God had asked him to do through the leadership currently in his life, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. David heard it. But David would have never heard it if David... David wouldn't have been faithful to take cheese and bread to the front lines of battle to men and women who didn't think he was important enough to be brought into the house on the day that Samuel the prophet came. What are you saying, Craig? I'm saying that every great accomplishment in the kingdom of God begins with simple obedience. Everything that God wants you to do in the future begins with you just taking cheese and bread. He heard the Philistine. And instead of drawing attention to himself, instead of saying, hey, I'm the king, he humbled himself, placed himself in submission to, to his father and took the pizza to the house. Notice the Bible says the house of Israel. David is willing to serve the house. David was willing to serve the house. David was willing to serve the house. And because he was willing to embrace what some would say was a small, insignificant opportunity, he was then put on the front lines of battle. David would not have the, uh, the greater opportunity if he didn't submit himself and take bread to the house. Can I just tell you right here, your spiritual gift was given to you by God to serve the house. It was given to you by God to serve his church. It was given to you by God to serve the people. There's two arenas that God wants you to light it up for his kingdom. One of them's in here in the house and one of them's out there on the streets in the context, the oikos, the spiritual realm that God has given you, the place of influence he's given you. Notice he was willing to serve the house. Spiritual gift to serve the house. Can we just admit just for a minute the way we've been in church and operating in church for 75 years has not worked. Can we just admit that for a minute? Like where... You hire one man, and one man does all the work. And if you're part of my denomination, every two years, everybody in the congregation gets to vote whether or not that one man did his work well enough. And if he, if he forsook his wife and kids and only did ministry, then he was good enough to stay. But if he, if he forsook the ministry and spent time with his wife and kids, then he was not. He got fired. And so that you vote whether or not the next person should come in. They vote on whether he did a good job or not. It was all about what? The pastor. We've talked about this hundreds of times. Taking care of each other. You know one of the reasons I love this church? Yeah, we're only an infant church. Yeah, we're only the beginnings of what God's doing. But one of the reasons I love this church is because this is a body that takes care of each other. It's not one man or one woman taking care of the rest of the body. It's the body ministering to the body. It's God's people becoming the priesthood of all believers. He's anointed you to serve the needs of other people. He's anointed you to touch other people the body serving the body there's people in here who you know what it means to serve the house why because you got here this morning at seven o'clock while some others slept in you got here early this morning to set up a parking lot you got here there early this morning to rehearse on a stage so that people can be led into the presence of God there's people that are teaching our young ones right now they know what it is to serve the house they give their life to serve the house they serve the little kids they come in they constantly they, they come in some of them teach on Thursday night growth they know what it is to serve the house they're going to be here this next week. They're going to be here on Wednesday night ministering to teenagers. They're going to be here next Sunday and they're going to minister to people. They'll be here for a meeting after that. They're going to be here all day for the festival. They'll come out on Monday the 31st. They'll serve the community again. They understand what it means to serve the house and thank God we have a church like that. But there's still room for more. And I'm telling you, those who are serving right now You better understand God is using you to change the world. You don't believe that? God is using you to change the world. He is. 
He's using you to change the world. If you're serving, he's using you. No one clapped. You know why? One of two reasons, because we don't really believe it. We still think it's insignificant or we don't belong to a house. You got to belong to a house. Show me, show me again in Scripture where God wants us just to be church shoppers. You can't find it. Well, I got wounded, Pastor, at my last church. Of course you did. You got wounded at the 17 before that too. You know the common denominator in all the woundings? You. You know what's bad about you? You can't. You follow you wherever you go. Stay here long enough, guess what we'll do? We'll hurt you. Not intentionally, but we'll hurt you too because the church is always going to be made up of people. And that's where you discover your giftedness. It's willing to embrace the messiness of community. It's willing to be a part of a house and serve the house. Somebody will hurt you. Somebody's not going to call you on your birthday. Somebody's not going to call you when they go out to eat dinner. And I've always wondered when people say, well, I left that. I left that. We're imperfect. Someone's not going to call you. You're going to be mad. You're going to leave the church. I'm like, what is that? How can you talk to Jesus about that? Like, someone didn't call me to go eat at Taco Bell. Like, imagine that one whose eyes are blazing like fire, right? I mean, like, we just use the craziest. You're going to be hurt at some point, but you got to belong to a house. You have to serve the house. You know why lots never become who God has called them to be? Because they won't submit and belong to a house or a body, a local family. They won't do it. They won't not. It's not like going, like a plant, right? If I took a tomato plant and I picked it up every six months and replanted it somewhere where a plant ever reach its full potential? No, why? Because you gotta leave it planted to develop roots. Some of you, God's asking you today to develop some roots. Throw some roots down. Because according to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, which by the way are the three gifted passages of the New Testament, the gift is given to you to serve God's house. I wanna say thank you to every leader we have in this room. In fact, here's what I wanna do. If you serve on a gifting, gifting team, you serve on a connect group team, I want you to stand on your feet right now. You serve in some capacity. If you serve in one of those areas, and I want us to put our hands together and just say thank you so much for serving. Yeah, come on, just let them know we appreciate them. Come on. Is that all we got? Come on, we can do better than that. Let them know. They serve. Look at, look at this. Half the congregation serving in some capacity. So what are my opportunities? Secondly, my obsessions. My obsessions. God, my obsessions. Let me give you a better question. What are my obsessions that matter? Because some people are obsessed about stupid things, right? If I give you, I don't want to give you all in ridiculous causes. If I do, I'll get emails this week because they'll be like, you said that cause. And let me just give you one of them, right? Like saving the dolphins. I'm like, really? Saving the dolphins? You know, or Sarah McLaughlin, right? In the arms of an angel. Dog's got no eye. You know, you've seen that commercial? You know, the dog's, next dog's got, you know, no paw or something. It's like, in the arms of an angel, may you find some comfort here. You know what I'm talking about? Save the dolphins. You know what scientists say? Dolphins are smarter than humans. They're probably trying to save the humans. You know what I'm saying? They're probably down on the reefs trying to figure out how to save humanity from climbing a hill or blowing a trumpet on November 8th. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, it's like they're looking at us trying to figure out, hey, can we save the humans? I mean, we give ourselves to some crazy causes. We in America are obsessed with things that just happen for a little bit and then they go, right? Like, you remember that band back in the late 80s, New Kids on the Block? Come on. How many of y'all knew New Kids on the Block, right? The right stuff. You know, it's like, these, these kids, my, my, my best friend who, in the 90s, uh, late 90s, he got a car, and he got a big subsystem in it with subwoofers and all that, and his dad got him a CD player, and he got a chance to get a CD. And instead of getting, like, Def Leppard or, like, Tesla or, like, Guns N' Roses, like anybody who listens to music in the late 80s and the 90s, Right? He goes and gets new kids on the block. And we're going down the road listening to new kids on the block. I'm, I'm just thinking what people thought about us, right? Come up to a, a red light and you're, you're bumping new kids. But, but listen, have you been to a new kids on the block concert? Any of you? Any of you go back? In the, yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about, Stacey, right? New kids on the block. But here, they're there and they're gone in 10 years, right? Don't matter. But what about that band of cute little girls in the 90s? Hanson? Remember those cute little girls with blonde hair? They're actually boys. They're coming back, right? Mm, bop. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the old Hanson girls, right? 
Uh, my friend, no joke, he, he wrestled for, for Baylor. Baylor High School went on and became a national championship wrestler. He was at my house when Hanson came on with Umbop. He looked at the youngest one on the drums, and he was like, dude, she's so cute. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a dude. That's a dude. He thought she was cute. That's, that's a true story. Seventh grade, he thought the drummer was a girl, right? Umbop. Look at that. Look at that girl right there. No, that's actually a boy, right? And they come back. But listen, we are obsessed with them. Ten years later, gone. Justin Bieber is having his heyday now, but 10 years from now, he's going to be gone. What happens in America is we get obsessed over things that are so temporal. Obsessions that matter. Matter. We're great at obsessing over things that don't matter. So I'm going to ask you a question. What are you obsessed about that matters? 1 Samuel 17, 26, the Bible says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills the Philistine, removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this certain circumcised Philistine? Man, he just went into... Man, I mean, guy smack talk right there. This uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. I mean, David is looking at Goliath and he says, that's wrong. Everybody say, that's wrong. And you notice he didn't say, I'm going to pray about it. I'm not going to form a committee to study it. I will do something about it. <laughs> I'm going to step up to the plate. He was obsessed over something that mattered. This Goliath's trying to make an idiot out of our God. For me, it was church, folks. I was 18 years old, and I'm thinking, I need to obsess over something that matters. I long for the day when I belong to a church that disciples people holistically. It was church. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a part of a church where not only the lost could come, find a place of grace, but those who are found would continue to grow in fruitfulness and desire. For me, it was church to be a part of a church that wasn't just event-driven, but a church. And God began to give me obsessions over things that mattered. I got tired of being in churches where people say, well, you know what? I don't like how you opened up the church service with that song. I don't like that song. And I'm like, well, listen, if we were American Idol and you had a choice, we'd ask. But we're not asking because church is not about you. I get tired of being in churches and say, well, I'm not going to worship till my song comes on. Well, then you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your song. You're worshiping your song. You're not worshiping the Lord of glory. I got tired of it. Well, that church is not my style. Well, people coming to Christ every week, people growing in the fruitfulness and the knowledge of God. That's my style, okay? That's what my style is. I like that style until Jesus comes back. What are your obsessions? Thirdly, my opposition. My opposition. Let me say something real quick. Listen to me. You are a fool if you think that what God has called you to do is going to make everyone happy. It will not. You are crazy if you think you can follow Jesus and everyone around you be happy. If they crucify Jesus for following God, they will crucify you too. And the praise of man is so fickle. And I just hear God saying in my spirit today, man, just God in your own mind's eye, that God in the next few moments would start delivering some people from the fear of man. Even some of you right now, when you think about your giftedness, you have people and faces in front of you who abused in the past or abused giftedness or maybe abused you or abused leaders around you and you are so fearful of man. If you're fearful of man, you can't fear God the way you need to fear God. You either fear God or you fear man. The praise of man is so fickle. The crowd that coronates you on Sunday crucifies you on Friday. The crowd that coronates Jesus on, on, on Palm Sunday crucifies him on Friday. He did not let the praise of men go to his head. So that way the criticism of man can't go to his heart. David's mad, folks. He's mad. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Listen, all he's wanting to do is help, and his brother still is mad at him. You're not going to do what God calls you to do without opposition. You're not going to do what God calls you to do without people hating you for it. It's just the way God's kingdom works. And Eliab goes psycho ninja because David wants to do something great for God. You'll always have dwarfs trying to pull you down. And when you want to do something great for God, listen to me. Those who know they should but don't do it, they want you to be as miserable as them so they pull you back. That's what I've learned. They want to do it, but they won't do it. They know they should, so they'll try to pull you and dwarf you and dwarf your vision. If you try to keep people happy all the time, you'll never fulfill the will of God in your life. Some of you can't discover the gift because you want to keep family members happy that aren't even following Jesus. You've got to embrace the giftedness. You've got to embrace it. 
So, so number one, God showed me my opportunities. If you've never prayed that before, be careful, be careful. If you'll leave here today and say, God, show me my opportunities. It might be taking cheese and bread to the front lines. It might be working on the welcome team. It might be changing diapers. It might be taking out the trash. Be careful. Be careful when you pray that. Number two, God, what are my obsessions? You say, I don't know any obsessions. Then here, pray this, the most dangerous prayer you can pray. God, would you break my heart for what breaks your heart? And if you'll pray that, I can make you a promise. Within the next year, you'll be driving down the road someday and and a song will come on and you'll have to pull over on the side of the road and bend over because you will be weeping so deeply because he will do what you ask him to do. God breaks my heart over what breaks your heart. It's a danger. Be careful. Very, very careful praying that. But if you don't got obsession, it'll come to you in a time when you have no idea and all of a sudden you'll get and feel the heart of God. Be careful. Number three, I'm tired of pleasing man. God, I want to know that my opposition is just reverse confirmation. I don't care what relationships it costs me. I want to follow you. He will blow your mind. Question number two, and I end here. If what I just said, number one, was true, God wants to do more in and through my life than I ever imagined, then number two, why would I give my life for a lesser vision than what God has for me? Why would I give my life for a lesser Don't tell me one person can't make a difference. Really? How many of you have flown in the last 10 years, flown on an airplane? Did someone make a difference a few years ago in the way we fly, particularly about September 11, 2011? Anybody make a difference about the way we fly? I mean, but pre-September 11, you could walk on an airplane with a bazooka. What's up, dog? Hey, man, that's a cool bazooka. i never seen that before. I mean, right? You just walk. I mean, it was crazy before 9-11. After 9-11, they do you everything from a body cavity search to making you take all your clothes off. I mean, it's embarrassing what TSA does to you in those lines, right? I mean, and that, that was one person, right? i never forget, we were traveling to California. This is like 2007 when I was at a church previously. And uh, we're traveling with a group of people, and there was a lady with us who had in her purse something that I didn't know existed. Ladies, you have something called an eyebrow pencil sharpener? And I didn't know these things existed. I didn't know what that was. The TSA agent opens the purse like, hey, hey, hey. And I'm like, what do you have, like a gun? What in the world are you doing? I'm thinking, like, did you not get rid of your gun? I mean, you bringing a nine millimeter in here? It's like, hey, we're going to take you to a room, you know? And, and all of a sudden he reaches down. He's like, what is this? What did you intend to do with this? And he's holding up like a, like an eyebrow pencil sharper. <laughs> what did you intend to do with this? I don't know how many legitimate robberies have taken place with an eyebrow pencil sharpener. Like, hey, you don't move. You know what I'm saying? You better stay still. Give me all your money. You know, I don't know how much that's happened, but nonetheless, this TSA agent went crazy. Ma'am, we're going to have to take this. That's okay. okay. If one person in a cave in the Middle East who's influenced and, quite, might I say, possessed by Satan can make that kind of difference in the world's most powerful planet, then what kind of difference can a man or woman of God feel with the Holy Spirit of God make in this world? If Osama bin Laden can change the way an entire nation lives their life because he's one man, what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ understood her giftedness is given by the Holy Spirit to change the world, to unwrap the gift and do what God's called you to do. So don't give me excuses, and I'm going to end with the excuses I hear. Number one, I'm too young. Yeah, tell that to the 14-year-old virgin who's carrying around the Son of God in her womb. Tell that to Mary. I'm too young to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Here's the one I really, really love. I'm too old. I've done my time. American dream. Got married, got married. Now I'm just, now I'm just gone. My ministry's gone. My time's gone. Now I just talk with friends about my medicines and appointments and ointments and creams that I rub on my body. And I'm just going to hang out, right? I had this conversation with my grandparents all the time. I can't wait to see Jesus. I got a collection of seashells, and I go play golf every day. You know, it's, like, it's like, come on, man. There's more to life than that, right? By the way, because I love, this is what I did. My first two years of Christianity, I taught the primetime or Sunday school class. That was 65 plus. So I love hanging with people who are older. That's not old people. Old people to me is like 120 now. 80 is just older. And I love older people. I love hanging out with older people. But there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God, only refirement. Oh, you might get rid of a job vocationally, but God is not done with you until you do this. And never take another one. If God was done with you, he would have taken you. He has not taken you, so he's not done with you. He is not done with you. I'm too old. No. God called Moses at 80, and he was already getting a social security check. Remember Job? 
God killed any and everyone except his wife. And by the end of chapter 2, you're wishing he would have killed her and left the dog because she was a nag, dude. She was a total nag, right? Job 42, 12, look what the Bible says in the end of his life. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. I read that this week, and I said, God, let dwelling place be a place where people who think that they're too old to be used, that the latter half of their life is greater than the former. Craig, where are my opportunities? Joel 2 and 25, I've wasted too much time, Craig. I've wasted too much time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. In other words, I'll make up for lost time. I'll restore unto you all the time that you thought you wasted. I will repay you. That's what God does. He supernaturally enables us to restore our wasted years. You say, Craig, where are my opportunities? I've heard older people. Where are my opportunities? If you're under 30, raise your hand in this room. There they are. If you're a college student, raise your hand. we got some college students in here. Now, they're poor. Here's the best way you serve them. Go up after and tell them Jesus loves them. Give them a $20 bill. They'll probably fall out on the floor. Right? They're poor and starving. That's the best way you can serve them. It's the be- That's right, Priscilla. It's the best way you can serve them. Because I don't know if you know, but they said that people under 30 don't go to church. Someone forgot to send them the memo. But you're looking for your opportunities as an older person. You might want to go after and, and, and invest in them. Have them over for a home-cooked meal. They haven't had one of those in 14 years. You know what I'm saying? Since they moved out of mama's house. a lot. I mean, right. Minister to them. Finally. I'm too bad. Oh, yeah. You're too bad. Let me read you the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, they didn't tell you about Tamar in Sunday school, did they? You know why? Because Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and had sexual relationships with her father-in-law, and they had a son together. How do you flannel graph that or puppet that with kids' ministry? You can't do it, right? Oh, but she's in the genealogy of our Savior. Yeah, I'm too bad. Yeah, you're too bad. You're too bad. You're a prostitute, slept, dressed up like a prostitute, slept with your father-in-law, and ultimately the son becomes a lineage of Jesus Christ. There ain't no too bad people, folks. And if that ain't enough, goes on to the next one. Look at what the next verse says. Verse 5 and 6. The scripture goes on and says that Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. King David was a murderer. He was an adulterer. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Who was Solomon? He was the son of what? Prostitution. He was the son of adultery at that time, right? Of course, the first son died because of the prostitution with Bathsheba. But notice, God says nobody's too bad. Well, Craig, what God's called me to do is is so impossible. Right, because he never calls you to a fair fight. It's always going to seem to be impossible to you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then the last excuse I get, well, I know what God's called me to do, but I'll do it later. Well, John 4 and 34, Jesus is right there with the woman at the well, and he says, no, 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 no. Now, it's four months until the harvest. No, 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 no. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields now. God's gifted you now. The harvest is plentiful now. So David embraced the gift. What's the only appropriate response, Craig, to a God who powerfully poured out himself like that? What's the appropriate response? I'm gonna be honest with you. If God really poured out his giftedness, if he died on a cross so I could be gifted. The more, the more money a person has, the more excited I get about the gift. Can we just admit that as humans? Like if I give a homeless person 50 cents and he calls me and says, hey man, I got some food. And then I went and got a gift for you. I got it. When can you come get it? And you're like not too excited to go get that gift. You're not going to be running down the road. Not excited about it, but what if you got home this afternoon and you had a telephone call and there was a message that said, Bill Gates found out about you and about your calls and he's bought you a gift. And it's the most generous gift that he has found to give someone in this hour. Folks, I'm running down the road. When can you get it? I'm running down the road right now. My underwear are on. My feet will be bloody by the time I get to the front door. Why? Because the more money somebody has, the more excited we are about getting a gift from that person. You know the capability that Bill Gates has to give. How much more? How much more does our heavenly father who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, how much more excited should we be about receiving the gift that cost him the life of his son? Rearrange everything in your life to prioritize that gift. Nothing's more important. Laid down his life for that cause David did. The only appropriate response is to say, God, I give you everything. I surrender everything. 
Parents, your, your words have incredibly strong prophetic implications. Some of you know my story. I didn't receive the call of God until I was 18 years old to be a pastor. I wanted to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. God called me to dream in April 2004. And two years before that, after I met Jesus Christ, my parents told me that my grandmother, I never knew this, my grandmother, who was the only saint in our family, and I remembered it now that they told me later, used to rock me in her house, and she would just pray in the spirit over me. And I remember my youngest years, and she always called me her preacher boy. I had no idea that until much later. But she always called me her preacher boy. Do you realize how strong the prophetic implications of you parents are of your words over your children? And I had a mentor. Her name is Dorothy Dunn. She was 83 years old. God was pursuing me, Miss Capri, so hard at 16 years old. I wanted to please God. He was pursuing me so hard. He was coming after parts of my heart. And I was with her one day and I said, you've been in ministry, Dorothy, for 50 years. I said, tell me, how do you know what God wants you to do? Here's what she said to me. She said, you really want to know? I said, I'm desperate, Dorothy. I'm desperate. I want to know what God's called me to do. Please tell me. How can I find out what God's called me to do? And she said, I'll tell you what I did. She was 83 years old. She put her hands on my face. She'd always grab behind my ears and look at me eye to eye. She said, here's what I did. She said, I went home one night. I went in my bedroom. I closed my door. I got down on my face and I said, God, I surrender everything to you. And I said, is that it? She said, that's it. I left her house. I crossed the street. And at 16 years old, I walked into my house up the front steps. My parents were watching TV. I said hello to my parents. I turned left, went down the hallway. I walked into my room and closed the door. I got next to my bed. I dropped on my knees. And then I laid flat out of my face. And I said, God, this is essentially what I said to God. I said, God, my life isn't worth a damn. still use me I give you everything that was 14 years ago and I never dreamed this could ever happen I never had an idea of what God could really do through ultimate surrender then God gifted me to be a preacher to be a pastor so I'm going to reprioritize everything in my life around it God's gifted you in Christ Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.